0: So when I was um, about 15 years old, um, I got my first guitar and started learning how to play guitar. And I had just moved, I was like in a new city, at a new school, didn't know anybody. And so it was really the perfect storm for me to get totally obsessed as a guitar player because I'd come home from school, had no friends. And so I would pick up my guitar. My heroes, like the guys that I like adored were like the the classic rock guitarist icons. Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, Dwayne Allman, Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan. A lot of you were like, who the heck are these guys just going over your head? That's how a lot of my friends were. Honestly, this was like the mid-90s. These guys were all famous in like the 60s and 70s, and I was just obsessed with them. And I would like sit around and just think about their music. It was kind of of sad, honestly, but I would like sit around And just think about like at night I would lay in bed and I could hear their music and I would like think about playing it. I would come home from school and get my CD and put it in my three disc changer and put it in and I would like try to play along on my guitar. If I was driving down the road, I always had their music playing and I would like pretend my guitar, my uh, steering wheel was a guitar. and I'd be like fretting it on my steering wheel, you know, and there was no YouTube, so I couldn't like look up what they looked like, how they played. So how many of you guys remember Columbia House? Anybody remember Columbia House? It was like this subscription thing where you could order CDs or VHS tapes and they would come to your house and like, I had to get like a VHS tape of Jimi Hendrix, like playing so that I could watch him and watch him play. And it actually started impacting even the way I looked. Like, up until this point in my life, I was obsessed with like surf culture. So I was all in on being a surfer. And at this point, I remember like one day I show up to school in bell bottoms and I started growing my hair out. Like, my friends are all making fun of me, like, what is wrong with you? You're in the wrong decade, you know? It was like, but it just, I was consumed with it. I was consumed with these guys' music and how they played. And I've just noticed this to be true about us as humans. Man, when we fixate on something, it has this power to really impact. It's like the more you think about something, the more you think about something. Have you noticed that? Like the more you let your mind fixate on something, the more you're drawn into thinking about it over and over again. And it has a tendency to shape us and to form us. There was this uh, 19th century poet, this guy named William Blake, and he penned this phrase. It's up on the screen here. We become what we behold. We behold. He said, we become that which we behold. Remember, we've talked about behold before. It's this idea of gazing upon, looking upon, meditating on, thinking about. And he said, we become that which we behold. Now, what's amazing is that neuroscience, some 200 years after William Blake said that, neuroscience has proven this idea to be true. You know, there's this, all this study about how the human brain works, and I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase neuroplasticity, but what it basically communicates is that your brain is not like this rigid structure that just stays the same your entire life. No, your, your brain, the way your brain works, it's actually constantly being formed and shaped, and that your thoughts will actually shape the way your brain functions. That every time you have a thought these neurons in your brains are firing messages to each other and they form pathways in your brain. And just like if you have a yard and you walk the same path on that yard over and over again, the grass wears down, it turns into dirt, that's what happens in your brain. The more you start firing signals between these neurotransmitters in your brain, it forms a pathway in your brain and the more that pathway gets traveled, the more natural it is to think that and the more you will entertain those same thoughts over and over again. William Blake was exactly right we begin to become the thing that we behold, the thing that we think about. Humans have a tendency to become the thing that they think about, behold, or meditate on over and over again. You know, for the last two months, we've been in this series that we've called God Is. And for two months, we have been just just looking at and exploring the, the indescribable nature of who God is and what he's like. And today we're just going to land the plane. It's our last sermon in this series. And I want to just answer two simple questions for us this morning. And the one is this, why? Like, why did we spend so much time looking at one little passage in Exodus 34? Why did we spend all this time? And the second is, now what? Like, okay, now we've spent all this time looking at these attributes of God. What do we do with it? Okay, and so I'm gonna throw the verse up that we've been looking at for the last two months just to kind of refresh us on what, what, what this verse is. If you'll remember, this is the moment where God reveals himself to Moses on Mount Sinai and proclaims his character, proclaims who he is to Moses. And we can throw this up on the screen. It says, he passed in front of Moses, this is the Lord, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord or Yahweh, Yahweh. It's the name of God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generation. So we spent two months just unpacking every aspect of that verse. If you've missed any part of it, you can go back and catch up with it on the podcast or on the video on our website. Um, Today we're going to go, okay, why? So the first question, the first answer to why is really found at the very beginning of the Bible. So in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, you find this verse. It says, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I want you to just let this settle in your heart. I know some of you have been in church for a long time. You've heard this verse over and over again, but just let this settle into your heart. This God that we've been studying, the compassionate the gracious God, the one that's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faith. He, he created you in his image. He created you and me, all of us, to be like him. So, all these things that we've studied, they're to be true about us. Why, why, why have we studied it? Why have we taken so much time to look at it? Because in, in this description of God, we find this description of what humanity was meant to be like. Humanity was meant to be marked by compassion and graciousness, mercy, abounding in love and faithfulness and being full of forgiveness, seeking justice. Like, this is what we were all made for. And even as I'm saying that, you can probably feel the rub, right? Because, man, we look around the world, look at the world around us, and it's like... I don't know that this is what humanity is reflecting. Are we reflecting compassion? Are we reflecting patience? And if we and if we're honest with ourselves, the rub gets a little more personal. I know when I look at this list, I go, man, this does not describe me. Like, I am not always marked by compassion. I'm not always patient. I'm not always quick to forgive those who have wronged me. And and so we feel this rub. We go, wait, we were created in his image to be like him. And yet the reality is it feels like who I am and who we are collectively feels like it's off the mark. And so what do we do? How how, how do we respond to that? So this is 2 Corinthians 3. If you turn there in your Bible, and we're gonna read this here in just a minute. And I wanna just give you a little preface. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul He's writing a letter to a church in Corinth in the first century. And he's actually talking about a story involving Moses. So the same guy that was on the mountain in Exodus 34. And there's kind of this weird thing in Moses' life that Paul's talking about. We won't get into the story that much. But um, there's this weird thing in Moses' life where he would go to meet with God at the tent of meeting. And he would come out and dude's face would be like glowing, like radiating. And all the Israelite community would see him and they'd be like, bro, that's just weird. Like, we can't handle that. Please cover your face. Like, it was intimidating and scary to them. So he would put a veil over his face. So that's the story that Paul is referencing here in 2 Corinthians 3. You should go read that story sometime. But let's just look, 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 17, is what Paul says. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What Paul is describing here is the simple principle. He says, we were made in his image, but you notice what he said. He says, but we need to be transformed back into his image. Genesis 1 will tell us we were made in his image, and yet there's something went wrong. That's what sin is. And Paul is going, we need to be transformed back into his image. And listen to what he says how we get there. This is William Blake's quote. He says, we who contemplate the glory of God. What does that mean? It means we, when we meditate upon, when we behold, when we look upon, when we gaze upon the glory of who God is, then we are transformed back into his image. You know, when we look at him, you know, the, and we see the shortcomings in our own lives, when we look at who he is and we go, hey, that's not me, the remedy is not to try harder. <laughs> the remedy is not to try harder. The remedy is to behold him, to gaze upon him. You know, according to scripture, how do we get transformed into his image? It's not by willing ourselves into becoming more like God. There's this thought that's just at the center of the brokenness of humanity that we kind of just go, man, if I could just be more self-disciplined, if I could discipline myself with more self-determination, then maybe I could accomplish this on my own. We go, oh, maybe, maybe if I do enough good deeds, if I do enough kind acts, then I will become more like God. Or if I resist sin enough, like if I work hard enough to control my temper and to be patient, if I work hard enough not to say the words that I shouldn't say, if I work hard enough not to use substances in a way that I shouldn't, if I work hard enough to control my sexuality and be pure, if I just work hard enough, then maybe I can make myself more of who I was meant to be. But there's so many flaws in this way of thinking. It just falls short, it, it, just, it falls apart in its ability to accomplish anything. There's a couple reasons for this. One, the standard is too high. The standard is just too high for us. This description of who God is, he's perfect. And Jesus, in Matthew 5:48, he'll look at his disciples and he'll say, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we go, ah, oh, standard's too high. There's no way I can do that on my own, no matter how hard I try. But it's not just that the standard is too high, the cost is too great. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you must lay down your life, take up your cross, follow me, like give up yourself for my glory and for the sake of those around you. You've got to be ready to die for me. This is not metaphor." For millions of our brothers and sisters around the world, this is their real life. They have to decide, hey, if I'm gonna follow Jesus, it may cost me my life, it may cost me my family, it may cost me my job, am I in? And we go, man, the cost is too great. The cost is way too great to just be like, well, I guess I ought to do this, or maybe I should do this. I know I should, maybe I ought to. This is not how transformation comes, because we ought to do something. You know, I go back to me as a guitar player, My obsession and my transformation was not birthed out of obligation. It was birthed out of fascination. I was fascinated with these guys and their music. The same is true for us in our pursuit of Yahweh God and to be transformed. It is not because we ought to do it or we should do it. It is because we have become fascinated with the glory and the splendor of who God is And we don't feel obligated, but we're like, oh, Lord, you are amazing. And we want to look at him. Oh, my prayer, beloved, ethos, is that that the Lord would capture our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would capture our hearts so much that we would just be fascinated and compelled to want to fix our eyes on Yahweh God, the compassionate God, the gracious God abounding in love and faithfulness. He's merciful. He maintains his love. He's forgiving. He's full of justice. Like this is who God is. And as we contemplate him, as we behold him, we are transformed. As we meditate, as we gaze, we're transformed. We are not looking, as a church family, we're not looking for an encounter with God that simply affirms us and makes us feel better about ourselves. We are not looking for an encounter with God that just gives us warm fuzzies on a Sunday morning so that we just have enough to get through the next week. No, we we are looking for an encounter with the living God, a continual encounter that transforms us more and more into His image. This is what we are after. So the question is, well, what gets transformed? There's a couple things, you know. One, when we begin to meditate upon him as we have for the last two months and we give space in our hearts to reflect on him, it begins to transform how we relate to him. Here's what I mean. The more you look at God in the fullness of who he is, the, like allow him to be him, you begin to realize, oh, this all-powerful God, Yahweh, the one who has all power, the one who, if his full presence were to manifest in my presence, I'm like, oh, it's too big. The all-powerful God He's also the compassionate and the gracious God. Whew. This changes things. It changes how we relate. You know, the all-knowing God, the one who knows everything about you, he's also the all-forgiving God, the one who can take every wrongdoing you've ever done and his forgiving nature, just as able you draw near. You know, we see that the eternal God, the one who has no beginning and no end, no limitations, he is the same God who says he will maintain or fight for or guard his love in your heart. See, as we're transformed, it enables us to both fear God and love him, that he's bigger than us in every way, and yet he loves us fiercely. Like This changes how we relate to him. But it doesn't just tra- transform how we relate to him. It also transforms how we reflect him. You know, two chapters after 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul will say that As followers of Jesus, we are to be God's ambassadors in the world as though God is making his appeal through us. How does the world come to know that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and full of justice? How do they know? Because we get transformed into his image and we reflect that image for the whole world to see. Transforms how we relate to him, transforms how we reflect to him. But another question, I remember I told you there were two questions, the why. This is the why. Because we want to be a church family that beholds the Lord. We want to be that family that embodies Psalm 27. You know, we spent this past week fasting looking at it. It's how we started this series. We want to be a people who can say, man, one thing, there's one thing I want that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. This is the desire of my heart. We want to be a church that is marked by that fascination, by that affection, by that heart's longing. Because when we get there, it will begin to change us from the inside out. But now the second question we have to ask is, how? Like, now what? How do we do this? I think one of the first questions all of us have to wrestle with is we have to ask ourselves, what are we beholding? What are you beholding? What are you looking at? What are you fascinated with, obsessed with? You know, there's a, a recent study Um, that shows that Gen Zers, okay, those in Generation Z, now this is roughly those born between 1997 and 2012, that Gen Zers spend an average of eight hours a day on the internet. Now, so let's, let's just play this out, eight hours a day. Let's be generous and say that that internet use starts at the age of 10. That's being very generous. Let's say it starts at the age of 10. If you play this out eight hours a day, that by the time they turn 30, they will have spent six and a half years of their life on the internet. Now you take into account that the ideal is getting eight hours of sleep a day as well. So this is another six and a half. Years. It means that by the time they're 30, they will have spent 13 years of their life, almost half of their life, either engaging the internet or sleeping. And it says that the majority, the study showed that the majority of their time on the internet was spent chatting or being on social media or engaging in some form of entertainment. Now, if you are a millennial or if you're a Gen Xer or if you're somewhere in between like me, don't think that you're counted out of this. I don't know that we're doing a whole lot better. (laughs) Like we have paved the way for the Gen Zers to come in behind us and to spend their lives this way. And I would say, judging by the way my parents' generation uses Facebook, I'm not sure that the baby boomers are much better. (laughs) Right? Like, we all have this. What are we beholding? What are we looking at? We are gazing upon the wrong things too much, beloved. We're giving our hearts to lesser things. We're consumed with lesser things. You are constantly being formed. No matter how old you are, we... As people are constantly being formed, everything that you do is forming you. Everything. There's no neutral thing. It's forming us, it's shaping us. And so we ask this question like, man, why, when you go to church, why do we talk so much about reading our Bibles? Why do we try to push that so much? Why do we talk so much about praying? Why why do we fast? Why do we gather every single Sunday? Why do we sing worship songs and try to get scripture embedded in our hearts? Why do we take communion every single week? Why do we try to Sabbath and take time to rest? Why do we do these things? It's not, we don't do these things to try to make God love us more. He is crazy about you. He loves you. More than I even know how to put into words, the God of the universe, the Almighty, He is crazy about you. We don't do these things to make Him love us more. We do these things because the more we behold Him, the more we become like Him. We emphasize reading Scripture so much because, man, when we read his word, when we read who He is, when His word begins to dwell in our heart, we don't try to earn God's love. No, we're gazing upon him. We read this, to gaze upon Him, to learn his story to screaming he's doing in the world, and to let who He is begin to shape us more than the dominant narratives that are screaming at us in our culture. We want the Word of God. We pray because in praying, we're trying to fix our hearts and our minds on him and silence out all the other distractions. Why, why do we fast? Like Why did we do that this week? We don't fast to earn something from God. No, we fast to actually encounter hunger. We fast to encounter the things that we long for because we're trying to break the grip of false fascinations on our life. This is why we fast from food. It's why we fast from social media sometimes. It's why we fast from, you know, online streaming or whatever it is that you give up. We do that because we want to encounter the hunger for that thing so that the false fascination can be broken off and instead we fix our gaze upon God Almighty to be transformed into his likeness. The invitation for us Ethos Church is not obligation. Man, it is setting our hearts on the one true God, the one alone who has power to transform you into who you were meant to be, the one who bears and reflects his image from glory to glory to glory to glory to ever-increasing glory until one day, finally in eternity, we sit with him and we see his face and we are fully made who we are meant to be in our resurrection bodies. And right now, that journey starts right now. What are you beholding? This morning, we're gonna take some time just to behold together. We're gonna to do this in a variety of ways. If you don't have communion already, I wanna encourage you, go grab go grab communion if you don't have it already and bring it back with you to your seat. You know, it's, it's really interesting. We talked about this in this series. I'm gonna pause for a minute and take a drink while you guys grab communion. So at one point in this series, we we're talking about this idea that, that expression reveals himself as Yahweh. And we, we learned that this is actually the Hebrew expression of the phrase I am, that he is the great I am, meaning he's eternal, he's all powerful, he has no limits, he is self-sufficient. And we looked at John 8:58. In John 858, I don't know if, I don't know if we have a slide for this or not, I can't remember in John 858, Jesus makes this statement, he looks at the people around him, he says, "Hey, listen, before Abraham was, I am." And it is this audacious claim. What Jesus is saying is, "I am Yahweh." Jesus is saying, I am the almighty. I am the eternal. I am the first and the last. I am the gracious and compassionate, full of love. He's like, I am that God in the flesh. So every week when we take communion, and this is is just gonna start for us. We're gonna take communion this morning. It, It is gonna start for us a moment of reflection and beholding. We're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning beholding the Lord alone, but then also communally. So you can go ahead and open up your communion. And I want you just to hold it in front of you, the bread and the cup. Let's behold the Lord. Let's behold Yahweh. Let's behold Jesus. Jesus. You can close your eyes if you want to. Just hold it out in front of you. You can look at it. And just think about this. In your hands are the body and blood of Jesus. In your hands are the body and blood of Yahweh. In your hands are the body and the blood of the all-powerful God. The eternal God the all-knowing God. In your hands are the picture of what that God does with his power. In his compassion, he drew near to us and he draws near to you. In his grace, he transforms you. In his love, he laid down his life for you. In his forgiving nature, he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. you. In his justice... He has allowed the punishment for your sins to come upon himself in the person of his son, Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let your heart behold him. Look upon him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Almighty Yahweh, King of the universe, creator of all things, we, we don't come lightly holding these emblems in our hands. We come before you and we, we just gaze upon you, Lord. Lord, as we take of the bread, as we take of the cup, would you would you just somehow mysteriously in what you do would you fill us with your spirit and would you begin to stir our hearts in fascination of you to be in awe of you lord to adore you I want to invite you just to repeat after me this is the body of Christ this is the body of Christ broken for me broken for me this is the blood of Christ poured out for me. me. We thank you, Jesus. We adore adore you, you, Jesus. We behold you, Jesus. Let's take the bread and take the cup. We're going to take a minute now. Um, for, For the introverts in the room, I know there's going to be some moments to kind of share and discuss with one another, but we're going to take a minute, just give you three minutes to do some reflection. We're going to have a couple slides on the screen behind us. We'll turn some music on here. And if we can go ahead and put those two slides up. One of these slides, it has all the attributes of God from Exodus 34. For the next three minutes, I just want you to look at those, behold them, meditate upon them, And then there's another slide that's going to come up with some questions. And these are going to alternate back and forth. But over the next three minutes, I just want you to look at those questions, look at the attributes of God, and just let your heart behold Him. Let your heart wrestle with these questions and think about them. And in a minute, there'll be a chance to share with one another. But for now, just take a minute, two, three, to be still, to behold the Lord, and to reflect. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us as we silence our hearts, as we silence distractions, and we behold you, Lord. I want to invite you now to just turn uh, to you know, two to four people. Just get in. You know, the people sitting around you, the people you came with. We're going to put just one question at a time up on the screen. I want you to just take some time and talk about and share with one another. First question is this: You know, how has your perception of God stretched or changed during this series? How has your perception of who He is just been been stretched out a little bit to include a little more? So you can turn you can turn your chairs if you want to. Just turn and look at one another, and just share your response to this question with those around you. You can continue on in your conversation, but I want to give you just another prompt to keep the conversation going. Uh, You can now just share with one another what, what attribute of God from that list do you struggle to believe or embrace? Which attribute do you struggle to believe or to embrace? And then just pray for one another and ask God to help us grow in both our fear of Him like our reverence of him, but also our love for him. So which attribute do you struggle with the most? And then ask the Lord to help us grow in fully embracing who he is. So continue your conversation in prayer. This is the last question I'll throw at you. If you're still talking about the last question or praying, that's great. But as we get ready to go into Thanksgiving and we put ourselves around friends and family, let's just ask this question, which attribute of God do your friends and your family, your loved ones need to see in you? And then just take time to pray for one another and pray that God will begin to develop that in you, that you will be able to reflect Him to those around you. We're gonna take time now just to continue to behold Him, and you can keep your conversations going if you want to. Keep praying for one another, but we're gonna just move into just letting worship just fill the room. We're just gonna let worship fill the room as we continue to behold Him for who He is. You can keep praying with one another. You can keep talking. If, if you would like prayers, some of us will be standing over here at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray with you, to listen to you, to encourage you. We're going to continue the rest of our time just beholding Yahweh, beholding Jesus and giving him glory and honor. So whenever you're ready, you can stand, you can sit. We're just going to move into a time of worship. Lord, we we just praise you, Lord. We give you glory. I pray you hear every prayer that's being lifted up in this room right now, every conversation that's being had. Would you be in the midst of it, Father? And Lord, would you capture our hearts as we just worship you, as we fix our eyes and our hearts upon you? Lord, transform us. Get our hearts, Lord. Transform us into your likeness. Transform us into your image. May we look like you. May we be the aroma of Christ, the ambassadors of God everywhere we go, Lord. Capture our hearts. Get our affections. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.